0: Experts that helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 269 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz Historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my good friend, Mary Jo Mulatto Willie. Mary Jo, welcome back to Connecting with Walt.
1: Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me back. I always love hearing what you have to say, and I'm looking forward to learning what you're going to be telling us.
0: Oh, it'll be fun. And I I know you'll have a lot to contribute because we're going to be talking about one of your favorite films today. Yes. So. So since the fall season is upon us and winter will be here in just a few months, I thought it would be nice to get in touch with nature by exploring the history of Walt Disney's 1942 film Bambi. Now, don't worry, we will cover Fantasia and Dumbo in future episodes. I know we skipped over those, but if you have not yet watched Bambi, you may want to pause and view the film since we'll be talking about events in this film. So, Mary Jo, where does Bambi rank on your list of you know favorite Disney films?
1: Um, well, since I, when since I was a child, Bambi was my number one film, and there have been so many great films um, that through f- with Disney and Pixar, et etc. That I just love. But if I had to say a film was dear to my heart, it's going to be Bambi. I I have Bambi figurines all around. I have. T-shirts and sweatshirts and socks and, uh, about Bambi. I just love the character, and I've read the book as well as seen the the um, animated feature several times. And so, Michael, what about you? What did you think about Bambi? I don't think I've ever asked you that.
0: Bambi's. One of my top films, I would say it's probably right behind Pinocchio in my favorite classic films. I, I just think it's-
1: That's high praise. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's beautiful. It's lush. I like the story. The twitter painted segment, I don't know. I am i don't enjoy that as much, but the rest of the film is beautiful. Um, I did read the book when I was a boy, and I'm rereading it now and because I wanted to read it as an adult because I don't have a real strong memory of it, except that it was very different from Bambi the film and we're yeah, going to get into that as, as okay, we talk yeah, about it. The,
1: the book itself. Well, when we get into it, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I remember that the, the story had a big impact on me as a mm-hmm. kid. And then the, the part, like you said, Twitter painted. Yeah. That might be a little bit silly or light, you know, but at, for children, I think it's, it lightens it up um, in, in that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice transition.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was just that's when it got cartoony for me. Mm-hmm. You know where the rest of it was just a you know nice story about their lives in the forest and all that. Well, it wasn't always nice, but we'll we'll say, get into that.
1: <laughs> n- nice quote, unquote. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, Bambi was a significant departure for Walt Disney and his animators. There was fantasy and reality, but. Unlike the studio's previous films, there was no magical forest or fairies. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was pure fantasy. Pinocchio was about dreams coming true. Fantasia was a bold experimental film. Dumbo was about hope and love. Bambi was at times stark reality, and no amount of pixie dust could undo the trauma of a fatal gun blast and the anguish felt by Bambi and audiences. Now, with the exception of Fantasia, Walt looked to classic literature for fairy tales for his inspiration for four of his five films from 1937 to 1942. And like 1967's Jungle Book, the book Bambi was based on was considerably darker than the film. The source material for the film was a 1923 book Bambi, A Life in the Woods, by Viennese author Felix Salton. And this book was intended for adults because its tone is grim. The book was also the center of literary and political controversy, with its testament against humans and their natural inclination for violence against those weaker than they are. It was considered to be an allegory of Jewish persecution in Europe, and in 1936 it was banned in Nazi Germany. It hardly seems to lend itself to a story about cute forest animals and their cycle of life from birth, struggle, grief, and the change of seasons. The book was seen as one of the first stories to be environmental literature, and man thought it promoted an anti, I should say, and many thought it promoted an anti hunting bias. There are also themes of religious thought and philosophy. In addition to Man the Hunter, Sultan also wrote about the many predators who killed daily for their own survival. So Bambi, A Life in the Woods, tells a story of a young buck who believed Man was his friend, only to be betrayed. There are two leaves on a tree who contemplate death and the hereafter before they fall to the ground. All the animals in the story are treated with dignity as they face uncertain futures. And the book is really a collection of separate stories that enable the young fawn to learn life's lessons as he grows to be the wisest deer in the forest.
1: I just want to interject right here because <laughs> the uh, where you talk about the two leaves on the tree, I think I was 10 when I read Bambi, and I remember vividly the two leaves on the tree and... Who are just chatting and talking and I, i'm not gonna um while well, you say that you know they fall to the ground but it's how he depicts that whole scene in the book i highly recommend um just for the storytelling that um especially fans of bambi the animated feature they read the book it is a really really good book
0: mm-hmm. oh i, I agree remember
1: those two leaves yeah
0: When adapting the story, Walt removed all social commentary from the film. Since Walt Disney's Bambi was released, many publishers have reclassified the novel as children's literature and is now considered to be a classic. Now, most producers believe the lack of a single storyline made the book impossible for adaptation into a film. MGM filmmaker Sidney Franklin purchased the screen rights to the Bambi novel in 1933. And he immediately began working on the film and searched for the right voices. And he recorded Margaret Sullivan and Victor Jory as the voices of the last two autumn leaves and tested several well-known actors for the voice of the old prince. But Franklin felt the voices lacked the persuasion and believability of the written words. He quickly realized the live-action film with an all-animal cast would be too challenging to achieve. Believing that only the artistry of Disney animation could fully bring this story to life, Franklin contacted Walt in 1935 and encouraged him to make the film. Now, Walt was in the middle of work on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but Walt was not just interested, he was thrilled by the possibilities. Walt later said, Franklin was one of our top producer directors in the business and the man I respected very much. He was a perfectionist. Sydney insisted that we really get the story worked out. It was Sydney who played a big part in really moving us up a step, I'd say.
1: Those must have been some pretty interesting conversations they had, right? Because Sydney Franklin was enthusiastic about the story i mean if he cared enough to purchase the rights to it right and then mm-hmm. walt is a visionary i can i just picture them you know marking up kind of how we saw in um the book about um where, where walt made mary poppins and where he talked to the sherman brothers and they had marked the same pages i can oh, see right. him doing that with Sidney franklin also just marking you know what parts of the story should we animate in, and 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 tell the audience and everything. I bet you those were some pretty interesting conversations.
0: You know, if you have the platinum edition of Bambi, the DVD, there is—it's sort of like the 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 director's commentary. But what they've done this is remarkable. First of all, Patrick Stewart hosts it, and this was in the middle of his you know Jean Luc Picard days. Mm -hmm. They have. They, they, they had all the notes because Walt insisted in story meetings that notes be taken so that, you know, everybody could refer back to them. And, um, when they were creating the film, they took all the story notes and they hired actors, one of whom sounds remarkably like Walt, sort of an older Walt, but they had actors for a lot of the key people we're going to be talking about in this series. And they, act out these conversations and then as they're talking they show you know the part of the film that they're talking about and then they'll show when they're talking about something they show the storyboard that you're talking to or wow. Walt for instance Walt when they were talking about Bambi and Thumper on the ice he referred to uh, one of the Pluto shorts where Pluto's on the ice and said you know we could get the same kind of movement out of that and then they so they show the clip of that short alongside the clip of the scene on the ice. And it is wonderful. It is really like being there with Walt, his creators. And every time somebody speaks, they they sh- they share what the name is so that, you know, they don't do it for Walt because it's very clear. And um, it is fantastic. I'm in the middle of watching the commentary, but it's like sitting in on all of those planning meetings
1: if Disney so, only had a channel where we could watch stuff like
0: this, I know, I know, yeah, and that's the kind of stuff. It's on, it's on home media, but they don't share the extras on when when it's digital. I, I on Disney Plus,
1: maybe when when um, the the movie has a a like a birthday, you know, an anniversary of, of being shown on in in this theaters that would be so nice to even if it was just for a short while to share this this um this this these clips that that sounds mm-hmm. fast i don't have the platinum version but i know i would love to see that type of a documentary
0: yeah it's it's fantastic uh, i'm really impressed really impressed with the voice actors you know, they really captured Walt's inflections well. Uh, I mean, it was excellent. But you hear that back and forth, yeah. of them talking about, well, what if we do this? Or, well, you know, how about this way? Or, well, say, yeah. well, no, I get what you mean. What if we, what if we went this angle? See, I mean, I can, it's just it's fantastic,
1: right? You have two storytellers mm-hmm. sharing their ideas on how to how to create this this story and, and what elements to to capture and how yeah. to animate it.
0: And there's other people in there. It's it's not just um, Sidney Franklin. He's he, he's represented in there. But you have some of the animators. You have, again some of the people we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. who were the the, the director, the producer, the, the writers. I mean, so you're really getting a good back and forth. So if you have the Bambi Platinum Edition, you want to pull this out and oh, listen to that so. commentary. It's fantastic. Really well done.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Salton sold the rights to a story to Franklin for just $1,000. And he did not benefit financially when it was subsequently sold to Disney. Um, With Walt Disney's version bearing little resemblance to the book, many believed it was an original story, not realizing it was based on a book, even though it's in the credits. Jack Sipes, who wrote the second translation of Salton's story and wrote a new introduction for the re-release in 2022, stated that the author had been, quote, basically swindled when he sold the rights to Franklin. So, J- J- Jack Sipes had quite a few things to say, especially about the film. We'll get into that. Okay. In a bit. But um Sidney Franklin was contracted as a consultant for three and a half years, but thanks to his friendship and respect for Walt, he continued to be involved until Bambi was released in 1942. And after seeing the film, Franklin told Walt, it was so far beyond what I expected. I think it is really beautiful and one of your best pictures. Now in 1946, Franklin released another Bambi-like pet project of his the yearling the story of an everglade boy and his friendship with a font this live action film starred gregory peck jane wyman and claude jarman jr as the boy who received an honorary academy award for his performance as a tribute to the hollywood producer had so much faith in bambi walt included a special dedication in the film's credits To Sidney A. Franklin, our sincere appreciation for his inspiring collaboration.
1: Nice.
0: Yeah. Now, Walt did not intend to make a film based on realistic deer living in a forest. What Walt saw when he read the book were personalities. So said Walt, when I read the book, I When I read the book, I got excited about the possibilities with animals, what we could do with them, not with doing the book the way it was. And what Sidney Franklin saw as poetry, beauty and philosophy and the grandeur of the forest and the majesty of the animals who lived there and died there, Walt saw an entertaining cast that would provide the opportunity to fully utilize the talents of himself and his staff in giving life and character to all who lived in this forest. So, although Walt said his main interest was the personality of the animals, he was moved by many of the themes in the book, some of which would follow him for many years. Walt thought he knew the special feeling he wanted in Bambi, but he did not know how to achieve it, Or if it could be done. His artists, story team, and animators were unsure if their simple animation and lack of a storyline could adequately convey the story of forest creatures living in a beautiful forest, always under the constant threat of danger and death. Walt realized quite early in the film's development that man killing Bambi's mother would be the most powerful and memorable scene ever depicted in an animated film. After his team read the book, they were concerned that there was nothing they could animate and wondered if Walt understood the challenge he was facing. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was consuming all of Walt's time, as he was committed to ensuring his first animated feature would be better than any live-action film being produced by all the other studios. Finally, in December 1936, Walt turned his attention to Bambi. In April 1937, all the contracts were completed and the rights to the story were transferred to the Walt Disney Studio. Walt had always been far ahead of his staff in his dreams and goals for the studio. Normally, this inspired and challenged his team to bring Walt's dreams to life on the screen. However, with Bambi, they thought Walt had made a serious mistake. In early 1937, Walt chose Purse Pierce and Larry Morey to be in charge of Bambi's story team. They had made significant contributions to developing distinct personalities for each of the seven dwarfs in Snow White, and Walt thought they could develop a sympathetic approach for the animals in Bambi. Purse was considered to be a talented storyteller, second only to Walt, and Larry was the lyricist for the songs in Snow White. David Hand was in charge of all production at the studio, coming up through the ranks of animation to being a supervising director on Snow White and understood the complexities that faced the animators when creating a feature production. Walt called these three men together and outlined his feelings and goals for the new film. And these are the voice actors represent the, all these people that I just talked about on that, um, on that, platinum, you know, just Dis- Bambi platinum edition in there.
1: I think that, I, I know you're going to get into it, but I think that, that um, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this in particular, but um, I think this is where you can see the value of storyboarding mm-hmm. because the the team that he selected, he has a vision, right? Walt Disney's got this vision of, of what he wants to portray and, and probably the feeling he wants to get across. And, they can only share how they're they're going to illustrate it by storyboarding and then meeting with Walt to go over that um i i can only imagine them racking their brains how they were going to do it and then as it slowly develops and then they i think then the the, the aha moment right and then when they move forward cuz they did such a good job
0: mm-hmm. yeah Well, Walt wanted rich personalities in the animals that would lead to a storyline. Walt didn't want any more humor in the film than there was in the book, and that humor should originate from the animals and other interesting creatures. His final instructions were, we have to get hold of our characters before we can build the story. Walt thought there was a lot of potential in a sequence with the animals talking about man, and it could be the highlight of the film, said Walt. The dramatic part comes when they see man and are scared and run. Then they talk about it very seriously. But the humor comes from the fact that they are talking about us, the way we appear to them. That sequence should be comic. In the book, it is too serious. There were two characters in the book that Walt especially liked. There was a belligerent skunk who could make anyone back down in an argument. Another of Walt's favorites was the well-mannered Mr. Hare, who was a philosopher and storyteller who had to constantly run from the fox. The storymen were looking to Walt for guidance, but Walt appeared to be troubled by the film and not sure which direction the story should go. Plus, Walt was still working on Snow White and concerned about how the public would react to the film. So the success of Walt's first animated feature was still in the future. During a September meeting, Pierce asked Walt if he still wanted Bambi to be released for Christmas 1938. Walt said, we should strive for it. It would be ideal to come out with a new feature every year. However, Bambi was not far enough along to need a full story crew, and most of the story department was now working on Pinocchio. Pinocchio was a story and film Walt knew how to make. He was still unsure of which direction to go with Bambi, so he moved Pinocchio ahead of Bambi on the schedule. Walt now started to spend more time in meetings for Bambi, and the ideas started flowing. Soon the characters included a weasel, a mole, a possum, and a spider. The skunk was becoming more important, and Walt felt he should lead the conversation about the terrible scent of man. Later, a jaybird, raccoons, beavers, an owl, and a chipmunk and squirrel comedy team joined the cast. There were other aspects of the film Walt wanted to see develop, Mm. such as the beauty of the forest. Walt also liked the idea of a lullaby sung to Bambi by his mother, but he later thought the wind might have a voice and sing the song. Walt also described how he wanted to see Bambi and his mother approach the meadow. I see a pretty sunrise scene with the silhouette of the two deer. From that, we could gradually emerge into where they are going through thickets along paths into where the sun can streak in a little, where they would go into shadow and where you would see nothing again but silhouette. You would hear the conversation going on all the time. He would be like a kid running behind his mother and asking questions. A month later, Walt felt it was time to share what they had accomplished with Sidney Franklin. Franklin met with Walt and his team on October 20th and stated that he believed the story men were getting too far away from Bambi. Bambi should be the star. And we should see the story and the other characters through his eyes. And he continued to share his ideas for Bambi's personality and the relationship between Bambi and his mother. Walt appreciated Franklin's ideas and his reasoning behind his suggestions. Walt had started to realize he'd been adapting slightly more subtle versions of the same type of gags he had used in the cartoon shorts, and something more was needed for Bambi. So new dialogue was written, gags were cut, and the script was revised. On December 15th, Walt and his team met once again with Sidney Franklin, and he was pleased with what he saw and said, You have hit the spirit of the story with this. This is Bambi. There is no gag that stands out above Bambi himself. He is part of everything. Walt said they needed to portray the forest as more menacing, and Franklin responded, it should be done with action, not with words. You must develop that feeling of danger. It should be done with business and not by talking about it so much. Felix Salton had written a scene in the book of a dog who chases the fox to exhaustion, then kills him. Walt saw this scene as a pack of hunting dogs snarling and lunging after Feline, Bambi's mate. Walt wanted to explore other opportunities for drama but then said, I think the audience expects to see the fantasy in this. There is a chance for some beautiful stuff with these changing seasons. I would like to see during the winter sequence, a little musical sequence with the crystal formations of snow. We could get some beautiful shapes of trees covered with snow, the sun streaming through and the snow falling off. Then after Bambi's mother is shot, the blizzard comes up and he is all alone in the worst part of winter. Walt also described the forest fire scene. I see a marvelous scene after the forest fire. We will fade out on the fire and fade in on the following morning with all the charred tree trunks silhouetted like crosses against the morning sky. It is a very desolate scene, devastated. We see silhouettes of Bambi and the old stag coming through the fog and smoke. The stag brings Bambi to the place where man is and then leaves him. We see the stag going over the hill and Bambi left alone. The book ends with an older and wiser Bambi chastising two fawns who are crying for their mother. Franklin suggested a different ending for the film. I think it would be beautiful here if, instead of just having Bambi meet the two little deer wailing in the forest, we repeated the circumstances of Bambi's own birth. You can get a magnificent effect with the wind and same coral effect used in the opening episode, then come up to a long shot of Bambi standing on the hill alone, a full-screen silhouette. Walt thought this ending was much stronger and completed the cycle of the animals' lives in the forest. Now that there was agreement on the direction of the story, Walt began focusing on structure, continuity, and the beauty and drama in this story of the forest. However, there was still a problem as to how to make deer into compelling stars of a film. It was going to take more than personality, humor, and relationships to turn Bambi into a successful film. But they had a plan for the film, with a beginning and an ending, with an exciting climax and heartwarming scenes in between. 1937 ended on a high note for Walt in the studio. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was released on December 21st and was an incredible success. On premiere night, the animated cartoon jumped from the lowest billing on the movie program to the most popular and loved film of the year. Walt and his team were overjoyed with the success and believed they could animate any story. The success of Snow White allowed Walt to pay off the studio loans and bills, buy land for the new studio, start hiring more employees, and get serious on Pinocchio and Bambi. Until this time, Bambi had just been story outlines and meetings. Now whole rooms are filled with drawings, research, film, photographs, and lots of notes. When creating Snow White, the artists and animators had some experience with animating deer and other forest creatures. However, these lacked realism Walt wanted for Bambi. As animator Eric Larson would comment years later, The deer in Snow White looked like sacks of flour. To assist his artists in creating convincing woodland creatures, Walt not only brought in live animals to the Disney studio for the Bambi animators to study, he also assigned artist and photographer photographer Maurice Jake Day in 1938 to take photos of the main woods throughout the seasons for reference and inspiration. In the novel, Bambi was a roe deer who lived in a European forest, but roe deer don't live in North America. So Walt decided to use a mule deer from Arrowhead, California, as a model for Bambi. Jake Day disagreed with Walt's decision. To get the deer right and the right forests, Disney would have to go to Maine, he said, and find a white-tailed deer. Walt challenged him to prove his point. So Jake Day returned to his main home, which his family had owned since 1798. Day took his camera, his backpack, and his friend Lester Hall to the Mount Catadon region. And they spent months shooting more than a thousand photos of the forest environment. Now, Walt had given Day a list of things he wanted photographed. The list included hazelnuts, marsh grass, oak leaves, pine cones, birch bark, low bush and high bush blueberries, red maple and speckled alder trees. They shot approximately 500 black and white photos and an equal number of color slides of cloud formations, snow drifts, tree bark patterns, and many more of nature's wonders, as well as many types of animals. Day took photographs of trees glittering with ice, snowy beaver dams, and trees charred by fire. He photographed the details of the forest floor, the lichen, leaves, ferns, pools, rotting logs, pitcher plants, autumn leaves, a bear cub's footprints in the mud. He shot at all hours of the day, sometimes at 4 a.m. And in their tent each night, Day and Hall studied the script for Bambi to determine what they should photograph the next day. They went into detail considering what kind of logs should Bambi trip over and where would Thumper and his family live in the forest. When Walt saw Day's photographs and slides, he agreed that Bambi should be a white-tailed deer. And all of this film would inspire Walt to create his True Life Adventure series for which he commissioned nature photographers to take pictures of animals in the wild. Realizing that an animated film focusing on animals required a new level of realism and visual poetry, Walt used innovative techniques to ensure his animators were up to speed. He arranged for Italian artist Rico LeBrun to teach classes on the physiology and movement of animals at the studio. Animators visited Los Angeles Zoo to study their subjects up close and to draw animals from memory and their imagination. Bernard Garbett organized these field trips, lectured, gave drawing lessons, and taught them about the real animal world. Garbett, whose nickname was Garby, could draw any animal at any age, in any position, and he set the standard for the Disney artists. Walt also set up a small zoo with fawns, rabbits, ducks, Owls and skunks at the studio. Jake Day helped arrange for two four month old Maine fawns to model Bambi and his sweetheart Feline. The fawns took a four day train ride from Maine to Hollywood. For nine months, the Disney artists sat in a circle around the real Bambi and Feline and sketched them as they lost their spots and grew into adulthood. The fawns were kept at the studios for years, allowing the artists sufficient opportunity to study their movements and accurately translate them on screen. In addition to studying the live fawns, they also examined a carcass with artist Rico Lebrun, who was teaching classes on how to draw the musculature and skeleton of the animal. I also read that (laughs) as the animators, the artists were drawing the fawns and all that. The fawns would sometimes eat their drawings.
1: Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> so. I you know I I think the uh, the picture of the artists um, drawing the fawns in the studio that's a real popular picture that we've seen. It is, but what you're what you're telling us is is you're describing a lot of work that went in preparation they did prior to even animating the film. This is this is just them learning how to. <clears throat> Taking the opportunity to to draw, to draw these animals for mm-hmm. the for the feature that they were going to illustrate. That's amazing that so much. No wonder it takes so much time. Or even back then, you know that it takes takes so much time to um to get a film out. Uh, all, that's a lot of that is preparation and work and, for something that's not even realized yet.
0: And the preparation that goes into it. And the animators were very proud of this because they felt you could see the muscles in the animals as they moved and ran and all that. And that was one of the criticisms, some of them like Frank and Ollie had of the Lion King that because they felt the Lion King did not have that detail in the movement Mm -hmm. and they moved Mm -hmm. more cartoony and more again, like the saxiflower kind of thing. So they were very critical of the Lion King.
1: But, but for good reason because Mm -hmm. they lived through this, right? Right. Wow. Yeah.
0: Now, research trips were common for the studios, allowing the animators to experience the real life environments they were trying to create on screen. For Bambi, concept artist Gustav Tengren, and he had worked on Snow White and Pinocchio as well, he spent several weeks in Yosemite and Sequoia National Park studying the forest. More photos and even motion picture film was shot by other photographers throughout California, Oregon, and Washington. Garby believed that Bambi called for realistic drawings with no humanizing of the deer, and that is what everyone expected for the film. But that would change when Mark Davis was hired, who had an interest in drawing animals. Whilst living in San Francisco, Davis would take the streetcar out to Fly Shackers Zoo, it's called San Francisco Zoo today, to draw real animals. He would then spend hours at the library studying comparative animal anatomy. He believed there was more to drawing an animal than making it look externally real. The animal's thoughts were as important as how it moved, and both were critical in its basic design. All of this made Davis more experienced at drawing deer for animation than the other artists at the studio.
1: Hmm.
0: Now, Davis looked for ways to make the whole figure show personality acting, and human attitudes. His deer still look like deer, but they could be seen as having human thoughts and feelings. For example, Feline was a bit flirtatious, spirited and playful with a twinkle in her eye. As a result of Davis's work, everyone realized the possibility of a film with deer who were sympathetic main characters. And this was the first major breakthrough in developing the film. And it's probably when I talked about um, the person that you know when he translated the film, uh, pr- translated the movie, the second version of the book, was very critical of this change in from the from the book. So um, he I can only he imagine called,
1: that discussion, right? Yeah,
0: he well, he called the Disney film inane.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: so so in in his 2022 um, mm-hmm. introduction. To Bambi, the life of a deer.
1: <laughs> see, I don't, I don't see it as that, but I, I think the, I mean, th- this is groundbreaking what they mm-hmm. were doing. In, in, oh, in absolutely! Meeting, right, so it's, I mean, they already had the cartoony f- figures like Pluto and and other um, of their characters and their facial features, but this is portraying emotion on a more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, animal in a more realistic story, not, not just a cartoon.
0: Right. Exactly. And, and, and Jack Zipes hated the ending with, um, you know, with Bambi marrying Feline and having babies and all this stuff. He, it, cause he just despised it. Really? And now Walt and his team were working with the original translation. And some people felt that translation was a bit flawed. And that it didn't carry, they didn't translate the nuances from the, um, you know, from Felix original Felix Salten's original words to wow. that translation, and that's why it was retranslated years later by Jack Sipes.
1: Yeah, see, I didn't realize it had been translated in in two ways. I just, you know, I just know it as the book Bambi and and yeah, everything that's that's in it. But man, it, I really want to see the film again with, which, just with, you haven't even finished talking about the movie, and I already <laughs> want to watch it to see, to look for these, these nuances and, and what the artists were doing, um, for the, for the characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, after I wrote this, you know, wrote this episode, I watched the film and I was just watching mainly the movements of the animals mm-hmm. to see how they move because they put so much into that, into learning how they moved in their right. body structure and all that. It's so impressive.
1: It really yeah, is. And I think, I think this is a really good example of why when um, especially our generation hear the word Disney th- that we Expect excellence, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're groundbreaking and quality work in all regards. Mm -hmm.
0: I agree. I agree with you. Now, after Snow White, Walt continued learning about music and how it could be a powerful part of any film. And that is where we'll continue our story next time.
1: It's already playing in my mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've listened to the soundtrack several times (laughs) as I was writing this. So, yeah, (laughs) it is a beautiful soundtrack.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes.
0: But now it's time for this week in Disney history. (laughs) All right, Mary Jo, well, you are our guest host today. So would you like to go first with your um, Disney history segment?
1: Sure. And, and thank you for letting me go first, Michael. Oh, sure. Um, I'm I'm picking, um, let me see what the day is. I am picking, oh, it happened on October 1st. So that's the, the day that I'm picking in 1999. And 1999 is special for me because that is the first time that my children and I experienced Walt Disney World. So... I see 1999 and, and it, you know, there's certain things that we do in our lives that are um, pivotal moments or what they call core, making core memories. And that first mm-hmm. visit and, and opening up that world um, was uh, pretty important for all of us. So in 1999 on October 1st, the new imagination pavilion, formerly known as the journey into imagination pavilion and the millennium village pavilion, both open at Walt Disney world's, um epcot the imagination pavilion features a new millennium version of the journey into your imagination attraction the millennium probably made some people not too happy <laughs> i think that was the
0: least popular of all the versions, yeah. wasn't it is that the one they closed down after just yeah. a few months yeah yeah, yeah.
1: The Millennium Village, a 60,000-square-foot pavilion, is the centerpiece of Disney's Millennium Celebration, also officially debuting the Tapestry of Nations, which was a parade around the world showcase Lagoon, and Illuminations 2000, Reflection of Earth, a nighttime oh, spectacular utilizing fireworks, pyrotechnics, water fountains, fire effects, lasers, searchlights, and a large rotating globe. I mean, that in itself how many people identify Epcot with that? Illuminations. With, um, illuminations, yeah. right? The original.
0: I, I, I judge all nighttime spectaculars by illuminations. It is by far my favorite. And I was so sad to see it go. I wish they had just maybe updated it a little. And, you know, people complain, well, it takes so long for the globe to go out. You know, I didn't even notice that it took time because there were still things happening. You still had the music and all that. And, um, it didn't bother that didn't bother me at all.
1: Yeah, I, it, to me, um, I actually like it because it lets you see it because it's unfolding and, and it's building that mm-hmm. anticipation for the show. That's how we looked at it. Mm-hmm. You know, during the daytime, you could look from the the Tory Gate across towards Future World, and you had this beautiful open lagoon. And then at nighttime. You see the barges and you see the globe and, and it's like, okay, what's, co- what's, what's, hap- what's coming next? You know, especially yeah. for those who haven't seen the show before. So, and it's
0: cool it's that how it, it would make that lagoon come to life in a whole new way. Right. Sort of like Rivers of America and Fantasmic at Disneyland.
1: Yeah. You know, it, you're,
0: everybody's, you're floating around there. You're going to Tom Sawyer Island. You're on the boats and the rafts. And then at night, it just takes on a whole new life. And, and yeah. it makes it that much more magical.
1: And you know, something's happening, right? But, but again, like you were, you were saying, there's so much going on in Epcot. It doesn't dis- distract or detract from what you're doing in the World Showcase. At least mm-hmm. it didn't for us, you know, and then you look over. And then for those who have gone a few times and, and like to see um the unfolding of, of, uh, or the development for a nighttime show, I think it would be fun watching that too. You know it's just I agree, yeah, I really...
0: heard they've gone back to Square one with the new nighttime show, um you... apparently, okay, this is rumor I haven't heard this officially from my sources, so this is on the interwebs, apparently, Disney was very unhappy with the soundtrack when they heard it, and they said,, uh, go back to composing
1: wow,
0: yeah, so that's the rumor that I've heard so.
1: Well, you know, it's it's when you have I mean they did illuminations right the first time. So it's big shoes to fill and and we've seen what happens when they cut short either development time due to budget or or anything. Mm-hmm. The 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 audience is not happy and neither are the people who are who are really invested in it. So yeah, yeah, that was that was You're a good right. year to go to Epcot. There was a lot happening. Tapestry of Nations. I heard so many. I loved that parade. To, yeah, I, I listened
0: to the soundtrack all the time. Do you? Yeah,
1: because I bought it, it when it a had. Majestic it, parade, right? Yeah. Just these yeah. tall
0: it was very odd, but it was wonderful. <laughs> I loved it, but um, but I thought the CD where it had Illuminations, Reflections of Earth on one side, and it had Tapestry of Nations on the other.
1: That kind of transports you back to Epcot right then and there. It does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, October 1st was a big day, of course, because in 1971, that's when Walt Disney World opened.
1: Yeah, which was even bigger, but 1999 was more important to me. But yeah, Yeah. 1971, (laughs) Walt Disney World. I mean, look, look from when it opened to what it is today. And I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of people complain, but when you get down to it, it pretty is, it still is a pretty wonderful place to visit. It is. um,
0: Absolutely is.
1: Spend time. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing about 1999, October 1st, (laughs) it marks Mm -hmm. that now something that you tell me if it was short lived or not. It marks the start to official Disney pin trading in Walt Disney World and Disneyland. That's so, been on for
0: a while, didn't it? I mean, they're still selling pins, and I still see people oh,
1: no, doing pin trading. Yeah, I'm teasing. Oh, it was, oh it's, okay. It's so big. I have, I have, I I laugh at myself because I will buy a pin, and I go, it's going to go in a box. But Me
0: too. <laughs> me too. I mean – yeah. Cuz but- I was never in the pin trading. I always forget to bring the pins that I do have for trading when I go to Walt Disney World. But like like you know when I went to Mickey's um very merry scary Halloween party whatever it's called. Um <laughs> I I bought the event pins. Oh that I, yeah, I, it's sitting here looking at me right now. And yeah. I thought you're going into a box along with all the yeah. other pins.
1: But you know what, when I go through those boxes, I can't throw them away because I get such joy looking at them, especially the special ones, you know, like the walk and walk footstep tours and, and the, uh, some of the tours that we've taken and and other events. So I just, um, painted one of the rooms in my house. It's going to be the office and it's going to be my Disney room. I have some special Mm. things, um, to, that are going to go up there. And I was thinking of getting some like cork boards, and, and putting my pins up, you know, and, and enjoying sharing them. So when I do go in there, I'll see those pins and really yeah. um, appreciate Carol, them.
0: Carol made a lot of shadow boxes of our pins and themed yeah. them and all this stuff, but you only have so much room for shadow yeah. boxes.
1: yeah. And I'm so, so they're in,
0: <laughs> they're in the guest um, room and then I have my, and then in front of them is my, um there's a lot of my popcorn buckets and all that. So yeah.
1: Anyways, some of the pins that, that aren't have. really fancy, but they're, especially the ones that are Disneyland, you know, the, I don't know if you've seen this on the cruises, Michael, but they also have pin trading on the cruises. Oh yeah. I've pin. seen it. I, the kids love, I mean, I had fun. I was putting pins there just, and I could hear the, the, the family, families with their children and discussing which pin should they leave? Which one should they take? and, I think it's a great way to bond with your mm-hmm. with your kids or even friends in doing that. So whoever thought that up, what a great idea.
0: I know. Through pin trading, I got a whole series of figment pins. It was his face. And it was a series where he was showing every emotion, a different emotion on each pin. That would be so, and and I got most of those just through trading, as I'd see them here and there.
1: And that's part of the fun of doing that, you know. So I'm, I am glad that it's still, you know, it's not as heavy. I was teasing when I said it was short lived, but Mm it does, it does still exist over at Disneyland. Yeah, when -hmm. you enter Frontierland from um, Main Street on the right hand side they have pin trading there that people it's kind of an unofficial pin trading area yeah. that they used to
0: have tables there for them yeah. do they still set up tables
1: uh i've seen them on benches, benches the last few yeah. times yeah they they typically go on benches but it's kind of like a well-known spot that that yeah. uh, people go to and and you s- still see uh i i'm not sure if the cast members still carry pins but i do know that for those who are looking to do pin trading, the opportunities there. Oh, absolutely. It's a fun activity.
0: Yeah. So um, now I also chose October 1st, but mine is again a personal thing. It's 2009. And this is when the Walt Disney Family Museum opened in San Francisco, California. Wait, that was
1: a life changer for you.
0: That was, that was, that's how it got me on the Diz too, indirectly. So, but yeah, this is, um, an interactive museum. It's in San Francisco's Presidio, which was the oldest military facility in the United States because it was originally opened by the Spanish when they, um, in Mexico when they both, um, you know, owned California. And it's now part of the Golden State National Recreation Area. I grew up not far from there, so we we'd go and play in in the Presidio and I think stuff when, like that. And they, they were mm-hmm. no, go ahead. Well, no, and they were one of my clients. Uh, well, I'm mean, one of my dad's clients. Oh. One of the businesses there, so we would drive to the Presidio all the time. It was just over the hill. From our neighborhood,
1: that's cool. And I think and you and Carol, the, I, I, we had we ate at a restaurant. I remember you calling Carol from there when we were doing Mouse Adventure at uh, the Walt Disney Family Museum. Mm-hmm. And wasn't there isn't there a restaurant that you and Carol would go to um, now and then?
0: Yeah, yes, it's the oh gosh, what's it called? It's the um, pre, I think it's called the Presidio Social Club now. I think it was once okay. the Enlisted Men's um, Club when it was a military base, and we would eat there.
1: Yeah, it's Quite a few the whole times. area is really nice to go to. But for anyone who's planning a trip to to San Francisco, I can't recommend the Walt Disney Family Museum enough.
0: Oh yeah, and it focuses on the life and times of Walt Disney, and yeah. I've talked about the museum many times. And um, but yeah, I got to meet the Disney family there, and um, you know just i've carol and i made so many good friends that are still in our lives and so you know it's it's terrific it's just a, a wonderful place it's gone through some changes especially post covid but it's still a great place to go to and and it's a must for oh, yeah, you know, people listening to this uh, show you would love the walt disney family museum because it's yeah. walt is telling his story in his own words
1: Yeah, and what so I are like the people about it- who
0: worked with him
1: it's, it's, it's a museum that you, you kind of follow a, a, a path, like a natural mm-hmm. path through it. And each room unveils a new component of Walt's life and, and kind of what shaped him and what he shaped for the rest of us in these rooms that they're just fascinating to go through. And they even have, they have events on the weekend, right? There's. there's oh, yeah. Talks and presentations mm-hmm. and all I'm kinds of I'm going to
0: one this weekend.
1: What, what are you going to well, go see?
0: Uh, Kim Irvine
1: oh is my gosh. going to be
0: talking. Yeah. Yeah. Will so. she have
1: a, like a ball around her head? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It Do is I that season. <laughs> I
0: know. I know. I don't have my ticket in front of me to see what she's talking about, but I just saw Kim Irvine and they have a couple really good ones coming up in October. Like when I get back from my cruise, the very next day, they're doing a whole thing on the um, making of uh, the nightmare before Christmas. So I thought, okay, yeah, I'm not going to get cool. home till like 1 a.m. But you know, I'm going to have to drag myself to the museum for that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And they also have, later. They're, and they're starting to have members only um, events, talks as well, which really? they're they're bringing back. So if you're a member, there's even more things you can go to.
1: What about so if you know a member and are good friends with a member?
0: Yep, well, like my brother <laughs> in law, I buy him a ticket for the ones she, he wants to go to. Say to. Like
1: Mary Joe. Well, Mary Jo, if you
0: would, no, well, let me know. Let me know when you're up here. <laughs> <That would be laughs> if we will ever do that. another mouse adventure at the museum?
1: Oh, the, the, the I they they've done two right, so maybe yeah. I think and you time, and I've been in
0: both. Yeah, yeah,
1: we were in the top seventy percent. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. <laughs> I didn't even bother the second time to look.
1: No, but let it was just it's just a funny ev- <laughs> it's just a fun event. And again, uh-huh. it, it lets you look at different um, aspects of the museum that you didn't even, you know, yeah. um, think to look at before. There's just so oh, much absolutely.
0: There. I'm glad they're bringing it back to the park. So I'm going to do it again in the park. I didn't like the ones in the box so much. You, I, you had to be in the same room with people yeah, to do that. You had
1: to, so it was yeah, really tough. That out, yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> anyway, but I'd like to do it in the park again. Yeah, that would be fun.
1: Well, so. it'll be. They, I think they've done at least one this year maybe two mm-hmm. so springtime is usually when they hit disneyland again we'll have to yeah. keep that open and see if you can come up yeah
0: and, yeah and see it so speaking of disneyland have you been there recently mary joe what any updates for us Share any experiences
1: um, not most recently but i am going on the first so this this sunday i'm going to be there at disneyland okay and going again on the 21st, um, our friend Dina and some other friends are going to be there in the park. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to, you know, a good friend of ours often says that uh, Disneyland is more magical when it's shared. You know, so uh-huh. that's always good. But I'm really well, looking forward. Disneyland at Halloween is beautiful, right? So yes. Yes. I, Second
0: forward- only to Christmas.
1: Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. totally agree with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw Dina not long ago. Some friends and I were going to the Palace of the Legion of Honor, which is in the neighborhood I grew up in, right? You, you have Ocean Beach, the Pacific Ocean on one side, and then you have the Bay on another. Well, really the Golden Gate, it's outside the Bay. And then you have Golden Gate Park on the other. So, and, and so this little neighborhood is sort of squished in there. And, um, and that's where I grew up, but they have a gorgeous museum. The Palace of the Legion of Honor. And they had a, they have an exhibit on the Tudors. And uh oh. so and and Dina was there. <laughs> Dina was right. going. She was there. I didn't see her husband. But she was there. She was um because her husband is a I don't know if I'm I should have asked Dina if I should share this, but he's a professional baseball player. And they were playing at um whatever our park is called. Now I still call it Pack Bell Park, but it's sad like three names since then might be at&t park and so um so he was playing there and then she was there with someone else yeah she was at the tudor museum we had i'd seen her at the dis event and we at disneyland and we realized we were going to be in the same place at the same time so we met up just briefly
1: oh that's cool yeah,
0: yeah. it's great to see her i hadn't seen her in a long time
1: yeah she's always so. fun we're we're kind of Disney movie buddies, so whenever a Marvel mm-hmm. movie comes out, or or any, any Disney, like we'll we'll probably go. Well, we'll see Wish together when that comes out, and the Marvels, will see that when it comes out. So yeah, it's fun. yeah.
0: Anyway, so that's it. Those, those are reminiscing, but um, yeah, we we'll be interested in hearing what what's going on at Disneyland after you visit. I won't be down there till December.
1: Um, god. Okay, unless something
0: comes up. Come down, so. first weekend. First weekend okay. in December. Oh, that's right. is when you always I'm always that's there.
1: A, that's your tradition. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I almost. I. You know what? I was all summer long. I said I am not going to renew my annual pass. So I've got the. I've got the highest one. So I and I. Me too. All, all <laughs> summer I was like I'm not going to renew. You know, blah blah blah. And then the day came by and I was like I have to renew. <laughs> Me <laughs> Disney, too. It was so. <laughs> the same
0: thing for my Walt Disney World pass too. I renewed it, and yeah. uh, but I think I'm going to go. There more next year because I want to bring my granddaughter when she's on summer break, and so I'm going to take like a over a week and um, go there. I just have to coordinate with you know mom and dad.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> and oh, all that. But I want to go so. to I,
0: I want to go to Disneyland a little more too this coming year. Yeah. That's my goal. So
1: well, there's well, a I lot used... going on mm-hmm. with it. So sorry about that. Oh yeah,
0: there is. No, that's okay. So. Well, I used several resources for this episode, including a book, Walt Disney's Bambi, the story and the film by Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas. Some articles and websites I I referred to how Bambi changed Disney's animation by Matt Millikan, Bambi by John Wills. It was a film essay. 10 facts from Walt Disney's Bambi by Jim Fanning for D23. Consider the source Bambi, um, that was at the Walt Disney family museum to discover the real Bambi Walt Disney goes to Maine and that's by the new England historical society and the untold truth of Bambi for by Sarah buttery for looper. So, and Craig always puts links to these in in the show notes. So Mary Jo until next time, how can our listeners connect with you?
1: Um, the best way to get hold of me is probably I'm 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 a dinosaur. I still use Facebook, so mm-hmm. um, I really don't do Twitter, and and I'm not much really on Instagram. But anybody can catch me as Mary Jo Malato Willie on Facebook or on the Discord's. You'll see me on different boards, um, going through them, or so you can always message me on the boards, and I'm okay. Mary Jo M W on the boards.
0: Excellent. I'm so sorry. You said-
1: I'm sorry. No, I'm webmaster mm-hmm. Mary Jo on the board. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, okay. No, that's fine.
0: <laughs> so you can send me messages at michaelbowling at disneyinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael with Walt. Instagram, Michael Bowling the And you can connect with me and Craig and all of our guest hosts, including Mary Jo, on Twitter, at ConnectingWalt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or com, And look for past episodes of Connecting Us Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible.